Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 10-5-2022. We're ready to begin our worship service. We're going to begin with prayer. Father, thank you so much for the time we have this evening. We thank you, thank you for life, health, and strength. And uh, we're here, uh, Father, praying for... Um, the courage to to live the life before you with respect to our call to be faithful and executing those things which you would have us do to keep our mind on heavenly things and to grow in grace we thank you for this privilege uh, not only the call that we have received from eternity past but for placing us in the ministry as well. Father, we thank you for the word is truth this evening. We pray for word of truth as well. We also ask uh, that you would give us wisdom as we focus our attention moving forward on the themes that we have been covering, that you have revealed through the spirit of truth. We pray for wisdom, clarity, understanding, so that we can make it plain, make it clear as we go out and witness of, of your marvelous grace. So Father, also we have, uh, we want to lift in prayer those who are suffering, uh, who are sick. In particular, I want to mention Gretel. Dwight has uh, given us information about. We're asking that we're lifting her up, Father, and we're placing her in your hands. We know whatever is according to your will, your perfect will, that is what we ask in her behalf. Although we would pray for healing as well. But Lord, you know best. Also, Father, we pray for Misty and others, and we pray for. Uh, Cherise, uh, and we pray for all those who are still grieving the loss of loved ones. And we know uh, there's been many losses. In particular, we have uh, those who are in the way of the storm. Uh, I'm told it is over a hundred people who have lost their lives. Uh, we're praying for the families. Uh, of those who have lost loved ones, and not only that, but are displaced without basic essentials that they need. We pray for their welfare as well. As we think about, just like you said, in this world we will have trouble, and we do. There's all kinds of things going around in this world. There's war going on. There's all sorts of things happening where people are slipping into eternity. So, Father, we pray that we would be the kind of people that you need on the ground at this time. So, we thank you for your grace and for your Son who sacrificed everything to bring us into glory. It's in his name we pray. Amen. 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 So we are going to get right to 
are where we are. We're in Romans chapter 11, 22. That is our course of study. That's where we are. I uh, just want to mention, as I normally do, that there we have a resource out there. It's the website. And if you uh, are interested in reading or listening or taking advantage of some of the things that are there, please don't hesitate to visit. And if you are inclined, we would love to have your feedback. Uh, so that is wordistruth.com. Okay, so you should all have notes. And uh, before you, we were, we're going to pull your notes out and let's get to it. I just remember by at the end of our study today, we are planning to have some Q&A. So hold your questions. Uh, looking forward to hearing from you. We'll, leave, we'll make sure we leave some time. All right, so 11, Romans 11.22 says, Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. Where I am from, <clears throat> there is a phrase that said, driving is a privilege. I did not see it that way. I figured it, it was a right to have a driver's license in the state as long as you pass the requirements. Well, many would tell you that their license privileges were revoked by the state as punishment for violating its laws. Our calling is also a privilege, not a right. God is extending himself in kindness towards us here. Hopefully, we will see this and use the means he has given us to advance his purposes. We belong to God and his primary objective is to bring many sons into glory. Will you be an ambassador for Christ? So I hope everybody has answered that question positively or when they hear it, because it is a prestigious calling that God has given us. We're not only here to bring the gospel to a dying world, to those who are perishing, but we ought to also know that in bringing people the gospel when they do believe in this age they are baptized by the spirit into Christ and they become a part of the new creation now it is obvious that we don't know <laughs> who will believe and who don't who who will not god knows though and he uh, does not force their will he just happens to know what they what they will do when they hear the gospel so he has chosen certain ones to be in Christ. And this is the age where he is calling those sons into glory. So let's dig in. So we, we got this context of Romans chapter 11. And we should take this verse as a warning. Now, I know when we're dealing with... Uh, such a thing as a warning 
many people who are not grace oriented will take this verse as well if you don't do what you're supposed to you will lose your salvation that i know a, a lot of people will say that and it's almost as though god is not able to give us warning or admonition or correction or reproof or instruction because as soon as they as god says something they turn that around and say oh you see god will throw you out of his grace if you don't follow the rules some rules whatever the rules are as far as they're concerned and that's not so it's just not so uh, salvation is free God's not going back on his word if salvation will never be something you have to earn so uh, a warning is just that it is a warning because what's at stake our calling and we're going to just go through it we've been going through it verse by verse so hopefully you are following along and you already know that from the context so let's dig in, we'll, we'll put this verse, uh, uh, we'll, we'll at least talk about phrase by phrase, we'll put this in the perspective of the context. Let's see. Point one is consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God. So the first thought is consider therefore, since God did not spare the natural branches, branches and you know that's Israel, we are to consider our temporary assumption of their role. So if God is telling us to do this, right, to stop and think about it, then that's, that's what we ought to do. We ought to stop and think about our role here. Uh, if we don't, then we're not obeying what the command here is. Hey, consider therefore. And he's talking to Gentiles, so he's talking to us. Well, we're not Gentiles, we're the church, but if he is trying to persuade a Jewish audience, he's going to refer to us as Gentiles. But really, he knows, and he's the one who told us in Christ, there is no Jew or Gentile. So obviously he's writing this so that the Jews would uh, be able to read it and not be deterred by language that turns them off. So anyway, we are, we are to consider our temporary assumption of their role. This is not our role. <laughs> Just keep that in mind. This role does not belong to us. It belongs, it was designed and it belongs to Israel. We're only stepping in temporarily. But, you know, I just thought about it as I was writing this and I said, temporarily? It's been 2,000 plus years since the church has been in this role. But notice, it is still a temporary role. And that is true. If we're counting, if we're counting how long the church has been in this role, it is a long time. God is working out his plan now, but <laughs> we could say we've been in this role for a long But guess what? You haven't been in this role for 2,000 years your time is short. We won't be here very long. We will be we will be absent from the body and present with the Lord if time if Christ does not come back uh, soon. So 
is not about, even though the church temporarily assumed the role for 2,000 years, you haven't been here 2,000 years. Right? All those people who are on the stage in times past, they're not on the stage now. You are. So the admonition, the warning is for us right now. So we ought to do just what it says. Consider, therefore, uh, the, the kindness and sternness of God. Point B. God is telling us, and when it says us, I say us, I mean the new creation on the ground. That's the church, right? To see Israel and not to repeat their failure. Are you considering? And so what does it mean to consider? So I'm asking you to consider. What does it mean? I'm giving you Strong's definition for the word considering. It means properly to see, literally or figuratively, by implication, imperfect, in, perfect, in the perfect only, to know. Be aware, behold, right? Consider all of that is from strong. And uh, when we get to that, what that Greek word is, so we ought to stop and look over our situation, look at what God did for Israel as well. And a lot of people look at Israel today and they say, "Oh, Israel is just so wayward. They were so terrible." Uh, why Why did they well, they were just bad <laughs> in reality we ought to consider Israel's failure and when it says consider we ought to see if we are repeating the same mistake they did and if so we need to change our course we need to look over church history look over and see how the church has fared as uh, the caretakers of the gospel how have they fared? Well, if you ask me, and I can ask you later, how do you what how do you think they fared over time? You and we don't know obviously the whole of everything, but we do know our limited experience. So I'm asking about your limited experience. You can tell me how you think the church has fared. Consider because that's part of it. Because even if the church. Uh, the traditional things that are in the church, the things that have held sway, if they were wrong, if, if the church was doing things and their focus was wrong, then we got to change that. We, sh we cannot continue to follow in the footsteps of the church when the church has gone wrong. You know, this, this is something for you to consider. I'm doing the same thing as you're doing. I'm evaluating it, and I'm considering it, and you know what? I'm prepared to make changes if I see the need. Well, since I have the floor, I will just tell you, I see a need. I definitely see a need to make the gospel information plain. We have been beating around the bush. Uh, we haven't been clear. We haven't been straight. Our language that we use can be taken in all kinds of different ways. we got to let people know what the gospel is and what the gospel is not. It's important. This is, this is what God is telling us. To consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God. Well, 
kindness because he gave us this opportunity. Sternness, well, he, Israel, this was their calling, and you see what happened to them. Right? We are to understand what happened to Israel in all of this. Let's keep going. Point C in our notes. <clears throat> Kindness. So, what are the consider therefore the kindness? So, the the word kindness here. You see the Greek word, but it, what it means is usefulness. That is moral excellence in character or demeanor, gentleness, good, and here kindness as well. So, NIV took it right from the actual definition of the word. It means how God is being good to us, how his character is disposed towards us when he has given us temporarily Israel's calling. He has done that, and we he has he now extended himself in us. And you know, it is a matter of trust. When we talk about it, those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. And so we literally have been given a trust. And what does it mean for God to give us a trust? It means that he, he's trusting us with his name, with his character, with the good news. Right? We're ministers of reconciliation. So for God to extend himself, to, to trust us in this way, it requires faithfulness on our part. So that, that is where, uh, when we look at the word kindness, and uh, we can see how God was benevolent when it comes to uh, this role. He gave, he gave it to us, right? and it all will work out. Point D, we're moving forward. Consider this, please. God has partnered with us in the work of the gospel, right? There's no doubt about it. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21, which we have read many times. In order that we may assist him in the work of bringing many sons into the new creation. If you go back to 2 Corinthians 5, 17, when you look at this, <clears throat> just let's, we already talked about it a little bit in the opening, but 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. The new is here. We're here. So we're in the age where God is calling out those many sons into glory. As, as on Sunday, I always I talk about it's glory time. This is time that God has been waiting for since before the creation of the world, when he chose us in him. He's been waiting all these generations so that now he could, he could begin to execute his eternal purpose. A lot of things had to be in, put in place before he was able to call out many sons into glory. So here we are. And so we know that if a person believes in Christ, in this age, they are ushered into Christ by means of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they become part of the new creation. So if anything, 
we are heralds of the new creation. And you could say we are heralds of the gospel because that is the door. That is what gets people into the new creation. I mean, what if, if you think the new creation is privileged and honored to be chosen and all of that, right? Well, what about the, the role that God has given us? We don't just, we're not just saved and we become Gentiles or Jews. We're saved and the person who is saved becomes a part of the new creation, united to the person of Christ. Right? This is unique in and of itself. The calling that everyone in this age has. And yet, we are the heralds of that. God has equipped us in this age to be a part of that. Now, we don't go telling people, you know, this is the gospel. You, if you believe in Christ, you're, you're in Christ and you're part of all the details of the new creation. We don't, that's not part of the gospel message. We go out and share the gospel. That's what we do. Now, we got to be careful. As I said before, if the gospel is foreign to people's ears, then church is not doing its job. Because that is what people should know. But when we talk about the gospel, how many people really can say, oh yeah, I know that, and then really they really do know it? Not a lot. Not a lot of people. So that says church may not be doing its job, it, but it also says we got plenty of work to do. So, I think everybody here understands that the work is cut out for us. We may complain, why, well, you know, this person doesn't know it, that person doesn't know it, this church is not teaching it, that church is not teaching it. You know what that means? You need to go to work. You got work to do. If you see work, then that's for us to do. Who's going to fix it other than the ones who see it? So, we can do our best. To make it plain, make it clear. But we may not be liked. People may not like us because we make it plain and make it clear. Because we may be exposing things that are wrong where are things they have believed. So they may not like us for that. But that's okay. Let's keep going in our notes. Point E, sternness. Okay, so consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness of God is, here's the Greek word, it means severity, roughness, rigor. That comes from Thayer. So God has different ways that he has to deal with, with us. He dealt with Israel in a certain way. He was kind to them. He, he called the nation by sovereign grace, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and then he, he, he inaugurated the nation by uh, the giving of the law, Mount Sinai. And, and so, everything was kindness. Everything. God protected Israel. He fought for them. But he, had, he had, had to deal with them roughly when it came to discipline. He had to get their attention. And that's what he did. So, when we see the sternness of God, I've just said this... I've been characterizing it by saying the severity. Right? That's the word I like the best. Uh, rigor and roughness speak of how God has to deal with them 
to get their attention. You know, it's interesting when you think about discipline. I like it, the verse in, um, in Hebrews chapter 12, where he says, no discipline is, is pleasant, right? And that's true. If it's pleasant, then it's not, it's not going to get our attention. God has to uh, treat us in ways to get our attention. Often, It does not mean that he does not love us, that he doesn't choose us. Or, uh, none of those things just means that he has a will for believers here and he is vying for that will if he didn't if he didn't discipline us then it would it would say that he is not holding to his righteous standards because he refuses to bring discipline when we needed it point f in our notes we're moving on do you think uh, uh, well, so do you think? Don't think God is like a genie in a bottle and here only to give you three wishes. We must remember God is in control here and his will is over everything, even our will. So uh, to know, what, what, what am I saying here? I'm saying that uh, we get the idea, well, let's say we, but the church in general has a saying, you know, that goes on and it's all about them. You know, we need to be blessed. And how can we be blessed? And, and what do we got to do to be in a position to be blessed? Is it our season to be blessed? Or should we be planting a seed? If we plant a seed, maybe that seed God will harvest. It will, will bring a harvest in our lives and we'll be blessed. At the end of all of our goings and comings and the things we do is the motivation to be blessed. Do not fall into this. And even if you study enough, you'll be blessed. No, don't fall into this whole construct that we're here to just please ourselves, that we will be comfortable. Uh, if we just do what's right, then he'll have us you know, riding on the high places of the earth and everybody else will be suffering. But we will be fine because we're, we're blessed. All our bills are paid. Healing anytime and relationships, 100%, perfect. You know, on and on, we'll just be blessed. We'll have all the money we want. This is ridiculous. I mean, it sounds like when we, everybody has seen Aladdin uh, and and there's a genie in the bottle that he rubs and, and comes out and grants him three wishes. Obviously, everybody's saying, I would wish for this. And no, why don't you wish for more wishes? Or why don't you do, you know, everybody has, you know, it's kind of an interesting thought because it's sort of what churches have put out there for people when it comes to this construct of blessing. And we, we need to really step away from that whole thought because God doesn't revolve around us. We revolve around God's will. It's not our will. So I think it's also a matter of growth. However, I wouldn't say that because a lot of people never grow out of this, this thought, this trend, you could say. They never grow out of it. This is the constant. They're constantly looking for ways that they could be blessed by God. That's what the whole life revolves around. But it is not about that. And 
I could understand a believer maybe going through a phase, but growth should help us come to the knowledge it's not about us. It's about God's will, His purpose, His plan, and us looking away from ourselves and adopting that in terms of our commitment and loyalty and love as a part of our lives and our destiny to fulfill his purposes, not ours. This is what, and going to point G, that's what humility is all about in the first place. Right? It is not about us pleasing ourselves. When we think about the word humility, it means we are humbling ourselves before the authority of God. Knowing that God is smarter, more wiser, more powerful, and he has a plan. He's not just sitting here waiting for, for us to figure out what we want out of life so he could give it to us. He is sitting here waiting for us to come to the knowledge of the truth, to the understanding of what is the purpose, the eternal purpose of all things, and how we are involved in that. So, Everything, the Father is working toward the eternal purpose. The Son is working toward the eternal purpose. The Holy Spirit is working toward the eternal purpose. Pastors are supposed to be teaching the eternal purpose. And people in the church are not sitting there, or they're not supposed to be sitting there thinking about how they can be blessed. They should be learning how, what is the eternal purpose, and then developing a love for for God, just like Jesus did when he was here, humbling themselves before God, giving up their lives because we died and our lives are now hid with Christ in God. And Christ is living in us, just like Paul says, the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me in Galatians 2.20. So humility, it's all of that's, that's what our lives are about while we're here on the earth. It is not about pleasing ourselves. Everything exists because of God's agenda, not ours. Just keep that in mind. So I'm going to turn to a couple of scriptures. The first is Luke 14, 11. And there's other ones in this, uh, in this way too. Luke 14 and 11, it says... For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. So if you think about what I was saying, the, the picture I was painting, it is about Christians who think the world revolves around them. And so does God. Well, if you exalt, that's exalting yourself. That's putting yourself above God. Exalting themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. You know, God will lift us up. But what does it require? It doesn't require our plan being exalted, being accentuated, being the number one priority. It humble. And those, it says, and those who humble themselves, meaning we take the position while we're here, just like Christ did, and humble ourselves, then we'll be, God will exalt us. In other words, we will be a part, we will understand our role that God has for us. But it's not the way we think, right? Get the big house, the big car, the big job, the big business, whatever you think it is. It's not, God is saying, I got something for you. 
but it's not going to be in this world. So anyway, Philippians 2, 8 and 9 give us the example of it all with the Lord Jesus Christ, who was here. Philippians 2, 8 and 9. And being found in appearance as a man. So when Christ realized that he was a man and he was here on earth and he understood who he was. I can't say when that happened for Christ. I know it was early. It was probably before the age of 12 for him. Because we know by 12 he already knew he was about his father's business. But it says, in being found in appearance as a man, meaning I'm here on the ground, right? I'm a man, I'm, I'm here to do God's will. So what did he do when he was here? When he came to the realization of this, he humbled himself. There it is. By becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So when we think about what the other verse said, if those who will exalt themselves will be humbled, those who humble themselves will be exalted. So when Christ humbled himself, he said, well, it's not about my plan. It's not as I will, but as you will. And so he humbled himself to, for the Father, right? Before the Father. He, he, he was obedient to the Father's plan, even to the point of death, even death on a cross, which is a horrible way to die. But that's what Christ did while he was here on the earth. He gave up his life for the Father's plan. And he tells us to do the same thing. He says, if you want to follow after me, then you will have to take up your cross and follow me. Right? This, is, this is what it's about. It's about the, the, the attitude of humility. And you can see it right here in this verse. And sure enough, what do we find in verse 9? Therefore, God exalted him, just like we read in Luke. Right, Luke 14, 11, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him an, the name that is above every name. At the, and it goes on. But that is the point, right? Humility toward God's plan, exaltation. And not only exaltation, but rewards. You, if you suffer with Christ in this manner, you will also be rewarded with him. That's what it says in Romans chapter 8. You will also be rewarded with him. We will share in the glory that he has when he rules planet Earth. So, so that you will share this glory with Christ uh, So, if you suffer with him, says Romans 8. And sure enough, that is what it means to be obedient, to take up your cross, to deny yourself, Right, to put the Father's plan first in your life, to understand that that is the priority for us, not our will, our plans, our purposes. Right? We died, says Colossians, and our lives are now hidden with Christ in God. Put to death, therefore, the things that are in the body, sexual immorality and the debauchery and all these things he mentions. Put to death, therefore, all of the things where the sin nature it craves to control who you are by lusts. Put it to death, so he says. 
And that's, that's what is important for us as we think about how do we become obedient like Christ did. How do we have humility, humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God? Point H. Let's get point H, Hebrews 12.5. It's a verse. It says, And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. So two, two things people do, right? This is, this is what happens. And I just want, obviously Hebrews chapter 12 is one of those areas where God has, God must step in and deal with his, his sons and daughters. He has to raise us. We, we don't come into the church as adult sons. We come into the church as babies. Now, I say babies, but, you know, people you take that way too far. They want to claim they're babies. You know, I'm just a baby. I'm just a baby Christian. Because then, what are they saying? They're saying, the expectations of me are low. <laughs> you, if you've been in the church for a long time, you're not a baby anymore. You, you are, there's, there's two words for baby. There's a breathos. That's a new baby, like on the mother's breast, like a newborn. Breathos. But then there's napios, and that's like a child, a brat, you know, uh, somebody who should have grown up, but they never did. They're grown, but, they're, but, but their emotional and spiritual intelligence is that of a child. So we don't want to be that, a brat, right? We don't, we don't want that for ourselves. So let's stop saying, well, yeah, I'm just a little baby. I got a lot to learn. No, no, no. In Hebrews chapter 5, Paul says, you guys, by this time, you ought to be teachers. You should, as long as you've been in the faith, you should be teachers. But you know what? The way it is, you need to go back and learn the basics all over again. Right? They couldn't distinguish, you know, what righteousness was, what the understanding was. So we don't want that for ourselves. We don't want to go down that road. That's the road of discipline. We don't want, we want to do, we want to learn and grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what we want to do. So here's what happens. So God can, we're talking about the sternness of God, right? He can and he, he may have to deal with us in this manner. But watch this. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't play with God. God is not to be mocked. When he's giving you a warning, he's doing so for your own good. That's really, he sees you going in the wrong way and he's bringing correction to your path. So think about it. He's doing, so don't think, oh, well, that's nothing. Well, I remember I was telling a guy, I guess we were having a conversation about eternal security, salvation. And so he said, he didn't, so I said, yeah, well, you know, there's rewards for those um, in time, you know, when we get to the judgment sheet of Christ, if you do God's will. But if you don't do God's will, then you could be subject to discipline in this, in this life, right? We, we have seen, there are many scriptures, but anyway, he was like, oh, so, so, because everything to him was about salvation, you know, 
if you don't do what's right, then you'll be lost. He, he wants you to be lost. So I said, well, he says, well, what, do you, what's the, what is the consequence for doing wrong? I said, discipline. He's like, oh, so what's God going to just smack me on the hand and that's it? All I get is a little smack on the hand and, and that's all it is? No, he says, you're going to lose your salvation. I was like, no. I said, you, you know what you're doing? You're making light of the Lord's discipline. And we already saw in 1 Corinthians 11, 30, uh, 29 through 32, how for this cause, many among us, among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. There are three categories of discipline right there that you don't want any of those. Trust me. God knows how to turn the screws. All we got to do is look back at Israel, and we ought to know this. So that's what happens with the Lord's. Some people make light of it, but then there's also other another uh, type of person that might see it this way. And do not lose heart when the Lord rebukes you. Look, when you're wrong about something, and the Lord brings it to your attention, and you do, you know, you trust in this, and this is the way you think it is, and now you don't want to be wrong. So what happens? You, you, you become discouraged when the Lord has to get with you and show you. You become discouraged. That is not the purpose of discipline, that you become discouraged. It, it is to get you on the right path. In fact, we've been saying this in Word is Truth for a long time. When we really get down to, you know, question and answer, and, you know, we're trying to create an atmosphere where people are, are free to ask questions without... Uh, you know, judgment and the the whole point of it is that if if somebody shows you the truth and you were wrong about it, that is helping you. It's not hurting you. It's not about who is right or wrong on the way to getting to to growing up. It is about getting to the place. Right? It is not about who's right or wrong along the way. So we've been talking about it. Trying, I've been trying to diffuse the arrogance that people have put in this thing. I, oh, I was right about that, and I said that first. And no, you were, you said it, but I said it. And all, forget about that. That's foolishness. Don't become. If and then when, because guess what? We're all going to be wrong at some point. All of us are wrong about something. And when it happens, instead of coming and saying, well, thank God I understand and I was wrong. I'm on my way back on the path of truth, of walking in truth. I don't want to be wrong. And if I'm shown that I'm wrong, it ain't going to feel good. I know because I was hoping I was right. I was invested in what, I, what my thoughts were. But you know what? I need to be quick and drop it like a hot potato if it's wrong. Because I'm on my way to the truth, right? It's not a matter of pride here. And I think some, something is like that in our rules that we have, our ground rules for the gospel. And one of them says something like, in fact, I might read it real quick because I think it's important to say it, at least right now. Um, here it is. Let's see. Here, it's number 16. We must admit 
when we are wrong. You know what? Don't hide that. No. So, so in other words, somebody might be, they know they're wrong. It's been proven they're wrong, but they won't say it. They won't say, yeah, I was wrong about that. Acknowledge it. So 16 says, we must admit when we are wrong, this demonstrates that we desire God's will to prevail and not our will. Also, it creates an atmosphere of humility. You'll be surprised if you lead the way. If you're wrong about something, so what? Say it. I'm wrong. We're not all right. This is not politics or something. You know, politics, yeah. As I have said, and I've always said in the past, that this is the stance that I've taken, and it's not true. They haven't always said that. But anyway, this is, but in politics, you can say those things and you stand on that. And you know, but this is not politics. So we must maintain respect, kindness, fairness, and honesty when we handle the word of truth. We must have the same goal in mind, and that is a unified gospel message, getting to the truth. But anyway, back to our notes. Let's get to it. So two things. Don't make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Those are two important things as we think about when the sternness of God hits us. It may hit us. It may have already hit us. And we have resorted to arrogance and losing heart and discouragement. And say, well, I'm not going to talk about it anymore because I was wrong about that subject. Wrong. That was wrong. Now, it should. if you were wrong, that means you know the truth now. That's what it means. You know the truth. And what do you want? truth okay so let's keep going sternness so let's the whole phrase again consider therefore the kindness and sternness of god sternness to those who fell right and that's we're going to talk about these four points and then we'll stop and we'll take some time for q a we'll open the floor so just if you have some questions um be prepared, because that's the time we're going to uh, open the floor. So, the st sternness to those who fell. Point A. Sternness. Uh, this side of God is where his justice must act in discipline. It must. Look back at Israel, and you will see the rigor, the exacting discipline given to Israel. All you got to do is look, in, look at the Old Testament. Look back. And this is what God is telling us to do. Consider. Not only consider what you're doing, but consider how you dealt with Israel. And, and, and how they managed their call. Did they do a good job? Were they efficient in what they did? Absolutely not. As Stephen said to them, you do always resist the Holy Spirit, just as your forefathers did, so do you. So we know, no, that Israel didn't do good. We know the problems they had. So we're not about to repeat them. Right? So we need to understand that. That God, if he sees that we need correction, if he sees the church out of line, that's what he's telling us, he'll cut us off too. We're going to get to that. I just want to make sure we, we set the stage and understand this as a legitimate warning. Yeah, this can happen. It's nothing to do with salvation. Nothing to do with salvation. But don't think that God will not act. And just like what we were saying before, if he does not act, then 
he is he is he could be violating his righteous standard by allowing us to be unfaithful to our commitment he's not about to do that it is about his righteousness and justice he must discipline so look back at Israel and you will see the rigor you will see how even a God would allow another nation to conquer his people he did it point B those who fell referring to the nation Israel right so sternness to those who fell obviously he's talking about Israel of course and the question I ask or I wanted to bring out is have they fallen beyond recovery actually that's the scripture in Romans 11 let's look at a couple verses there so because we wanted to make it um, understand the, the understanding we want to bring that out again it's not a referring to salvation right this is so Romans 11 11 says again I ask did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery that's the same question and the answer is what not at all not at all rather because of their transgression salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious and sure enough that's what happened and here the Gentiles are reference to the church here right we already said why and so as we, we're looking at this whole thought, look at in verse 12. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring or their fullness? That is to say that Israel is going to come back and continue to play the role to execute the role that God had planned for them. Skipping down to verse 15. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will, the, will their acceptance be but life from the dead? So as far as their call was concerned, they were dead. They weren't performing it at all. We already talked about resisting the Holy Spirit and how the nation had fallen for the big lie. That is, the big lie is, let me clarify, is, is that people thought in Israel that by keeping the law of Moses that they would be justified before God. Absolutely false. But yet they believed it. Anyhow, so we're continuing. That's the thought. That was point B. C, as we review the, Old the record, Old Testament that is, we can see how patient, long-suffering God was to wayward Israel. And this is what it says in Romans chapter 10. Right? But concerning Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. This is Romans 10, 21. But it's also found in, Rome, uh, I'm sorry, Isaiah 65, verses 2 through 5. This is Paul quoting uh, from Isaiah. And the reason I'm including, in case you want to do some extra reading in the context, there's more. And what he said here uh, but I just quoted what Paul quoted in Romans 10 21 so it's just to say that you could even though God did level severe discipline upon Israel he was very patient with them right he he 
contended with them. He went back and forth with them. He didn't just judge them the first time they did something. It wasn't like a hammer was over their head, and as soon as they messed up, bam, down came the hammer. That wasn't it at all. God didn't judge for a long time. He was very careful with it. He loved those people. So why would he want to cause them to suffer needlessly? God is not some sort of misogynist where he, he enjoys our pain. That's not the point of the suffering. So he was patient with Israel. That's what we need to make sure we understand, that God was indeed patient. He wait, And we even learn this about God. You know, when if you talk about, oh, God created everything and the heavens and the earth, and then he restored the earth uh, for man's habitation, and we talk about all the good things that are here, we don't really know that God is long-suffering, that he's patient. How would we know that unless someone some nation like Israel did what they did. And now we have the record in the Old Testament of how he labored with them, how he was patient and took his time and care and laid out to them what the consequences of disobedience would be. If he did, took all that time to do that, and then they crossed those lines over and over, and he didn't judge them, again, it would be an affront to his own righteousness. So he had to judge them. His justice had to execute judgment, level judgment on these people for their disobedience. All day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. And what did they do? They turned the shoulder. They, they to his face, told him, I will not do what you say. I mean, it was on and on. If you read the, old, the record, then you'll know what I mean. Point D. This is our last point here for the evening. However, even though he is patient, <laughs> even though that is the case, there is a point where he will judge. And we're supposed to consider all of this. Why? So that we do not fall into the same uh, patterns of disobedience that Israel did. It was over 1,400 years that Israel fell, restored, fell, restored. God judged them, restored. It was a long period, and we got a chance to really see this. So there should be no excuse for us by looking at the example of Israel, because we have the same role, well, not quite the same, but the same responsibility, that is, caretakers of the gospel. So even though he is patient, there is a point where he will judge and, quote, to do his strange, his work, his strange work and perform his task, his alien task. That's in Isaiah 28, 21b. So, God, yes, it's strange. Yes, it's alien because it is not what God wants to do in terms of what he called the nation. That wasn't the purpose, but he, he has to judge them or else they will never learn from it. They will never grow and see the error of their way. They will assume that God relaxes his standards 
and allows them to go in whatever way they want. And that is certainly not the, the thought here. God will get to that point and he will judge. And to do his work, his strange work, and perform his task, his alien task. That's taking Israel out. Right? Christ, when, when the disciples and, and the Lord went up on the Mount of Olives, and they looked over, and I stood on the Mount of Olives. And I was able to look over and look at the temple, the temple mound. And I, as Christ stood there, I could see exactly what he saw, the beauty of the temple and all of Jerusalem around it. And Christ says, see all these things? And he was referring to the beautiful temple, glistening in the sun. He says, there will not be one stone left on another that will not be thrown down. And he just, I can imagine the disciples and their mouths probably dropping. And what? They don't know how to even handle what he's saying. Because the temple was the cornerstone of the Jewish faith. It was the pride of Jerusalem. There was no way. I mean, for that to be destroyed, I mean, it was, would, would be certain that the nation would not continue. So for him, for Christ to, to prophesy about such things, and sure enough, we saw that happen in A.D. 70. So I just want to say that God has and will judge. Take this as a warning. We will continue this. I thought next week it says, but kindness to you provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. We'll discuss those two points next week as we finish verse 22. So at this point, we we are going to stop and turn to open the floor for whatever questions or thoughts you may have. The floor is open. that we're going in that is a wrong direction that it is uh, taking us out of spiritual growth and the things of God God can and and we'll, we'll just to point out it is not what may cause you to go in those paths those wrong ways would could be sin so the eternal consequences of sin have been dealt with in other words, between you and God, Christ answered and is satisfied for every sin you would ever commit. But now, sin do- can and does affect you in time. How does it affect you? What do we mean? It, I mean that sin 
can cause you to be out of fellowship, as we already know, 1 John 1, 9. So what do we need to do? We need to confess our sin, because it is about our walk. It is about our calling. So if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. What does it mean? Reconcile us back to fellowship. We now are back in fellowship and forgive us of all unrighteousness. So, but, so yes, sin has effects. For instance, a person uh, commits adultery with a woman. A man commits adultery with a woman. That's a sin. So then the man says, I confess. But does it mean that there's no consequences to that? What might happen as a result of that? No, there are consequences in time. But those consequences are not matters of life and death in terms of our eternal state before God. So, which is why when we think about a calling, our walk matters. Walk circumspect, circumspectly. We are to walk uh, with regard to growing in grace and uh, in the knowledge of God. Reckon yourself to be dead indeed unto sin and alive to God. Should we sin because we're under grace and not under the law? God forbid we should not do that. So these are things, as we read the Bible, we understand that, listen, salvation, there are no expectations for us. No standards that we have to fulfill. Christian way of life, what God has called us to, yes, there is a way that we should walk in Christ. Absolutely. Other thoughts out there? Are yours, Bill? Go ahead, Bill. And just, to, just to clarify that, so it's not the sin that brings on the chastisement, it's the fact that you're walking unworthiness or you're just um, it causes us to get off track? That's or right. is it because we're not our representation has been tainted? Well, we, we are here for a purpose. So, so for instance, we, just like we're talking here in this, in this context, it's not about salvation. So it, unfaithfulness to our call is sin. It is. It is not fulfilling the purpose of God for our lives. We're not, the consequences for that are not going to be that we lose our eternal salvation. So... So it, it is a matter, you know, God has expectation for us to grow up, right? We, all of us come on as babies. But God tells us, take the sincere milk. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He tells us to do all these things as believers. Now, none of those things will hinge on our salvation. None of them. Whether we don't do, if we don't do anything, it doesn't hinge. Why doesn't it hinge? Because Christ paid for it. Our sins and the Father satisfied. So we're going to be with God forever, not because we have walked a certain way, but because of Christ and His righteousness. But now, what about if we do walk according to the plan? What about if we we do all? Then we will be rewarded for allowing God to use us in time. What if we don't? Well, there's discipline. He disciplines every child. There's punitive discipline. Right? We can go down the road, right? Because we need training. What are we training for? 
if all of our sins are paid, right? No, we're training because God has called us to a ministry, right? We have a responsibility. God has given us a trust. So, therefore, we must prove what? Faithful. Right? And, and, if we, and he's going to judge us based on how we handled the trust given to us at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, the discipline, all those things, the consequences of sin in this life, you murder somebody, you might end up in jail. You do this, you, you know, the action, what a man sows, that shall he also reap. Those are consequences in time that can happen to us in this world. Well, he tells every man to be subject to the authorities over him, right? Because there could be things that happen if we don't. So, but these are consequences that might relate to sins that we do. Not all sins have visible consequences. Sometimes they are consequences God puts on us. For this cause, many among you are sick and we number of you have fallen asleep. So when what is that? That's discipline. That's being judged by God in time. He's not going to judge you in eternity, but he can judge you now because this is a part of uh, him uh, giving you a call, right? You have a responsibility and he's, he's allowing you the opportunity and the privilege to partner with him. So, so yes, Sin does have consequences in time, but, but none of them rise to the level of our eternal salvation, which has already been taken care of uh, by Christ. Uh, I'll pause, Bill. I don't know if it's clear or not, but I hope it is. It is, it, 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 it is very good. Well, first, let me ask this question. So is, is this um, what occurs for the church? Okay, so, so what we have in the lesson next week is some important matters. So Israel was disciplined, as we saw, but it didn't affect Israel's salvation. Even, even Paul is an Israelite from the tribe of Benjamin. He's saved. He followed God in the manner of salvation, and he's saved. So it doesn't affect his salvation. However, for him to write these warnings, he could be cut off, right? Or like it says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, he says, uh, I have to uh, keep my body under control lest while I preach to others, I myself will be disqualified for the prize. So he's saying that I might not get a reward because of I can't control myself here in the world. I can't be, live a life that is disciplined. So he, you, you couldn't miss out on your reward. So walking in ways that are, why would you walk in a way that is not pleasing to God? Ten times out of ten, it's probably going to have to do something with sin. It will have to do something with sin. Ten times out of ten. So can it, sin, go ahead. It, it reminds me of... Um... Well, I forgot his name, but he was he was sitting in potash and and even the wife turned against him, and everybody <laughs> felt like he had sinned, and he hadn't sinned, but he was even bad shape. You know what I'm referring to, right? Job, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's one illustration where we can we can say that he did nothing wrong. 
Yeah, so so there so God does he does allow us to be tested, right? And there's no temptation that is common to man that has taken you that God is not willing to so God doesn't tempt you so you can fail or test you. He tests us. He doesn't tempt us to sin. But he does give us tests. And, you know, in learning and discipline, when it comes to growing in grace, we do have to evaluate ourselves. Right? We, and God says, you know, you've been learning a lot. You know, you, you know a lot. But now, let's see how you apply what you have learned. I mean, that's valid. I mean, if God didn't do that for us, he didn't allow us to work out our salvation. In other words, okay, now we learn these things. Let me see how, let me try them out in the world. He allows us to do that gradually as babies. And this is what it means by growing up and walking and maturing where we can now walk in the world. God allows us the opportunity to, te- for, for things to come against us, and we now have the power of the Word of God and the experience to be able to overcome those things in, in this world. Whereas if he never, if he, he coddled us and never allowed us to be tested, then we wouldn't really have the experience of passing those tests and and growing in grace and and as we we talked about you know as we go through struggles and battles but when we submit to God and humility and and learn then Christ is able to put his foot on that ground in our heart so that now he is able to walk in us in that area of our lives we have submitted that area of our lives to him and now he is able to do that but it takes focus. It takes growing in grace, transforming of our minds. Job's a good example because people thought Job was involved in sin, but he really wasn't. Right. So what was God doing? He was testing Job. Right. He, Job could handle it. Job did handle it. Right. Job handled it. So, uh, but when you look at what happened to his life as a result of it, then we could see that people around him may have assumed that Job was was not faring very well, that he had some hidden sin that was going on and, and all that. I see your point. But that wasn't the case. So, so then there's one more uh, place in the Old Testament uh, where it talks about, um, I forgot how it goes, and wake up, wake up, you old sleeper or sluggard or something, he was calling him. Um, and I guess they weren't, they weren't doing what they should have been doing, and he kept telling them to wake up. I don't know if you're familiar with that scripture. Uh, yeah, well, in the New Testament, I, I see a scripture that's just like that. Yeah, it says... Uh, Ephesians 5.14, it says, This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. So people who are sleeping in this world, 
So there's there's some metaphors. Sleeping is where somebody is totally zoned out, given to their sin nature. They are giving their control the control of their lives to the sin nature. They are said to be sleeping, or uh, even operational death, where people are in operational death. Uh, they have totally given themselves over. There there are do there are no there's no good. They're supposed to be doing good, but there's no good coming from them at all. So, and then there's another metaphor for this, and that is drunkenness, right? Don't be drunk with wine, which is, uh, leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So, being filled with the Spirit, drunk with wine. So, notice the, what, what the metaphors are. And uh, of allowing yourself to be under control of the sin nature, as as Romans six would say, would say, to those you give yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey. <laughs> Sounds that's not King James either, I don't think. But the point that of what that is saying, if you give yourself to the sin nature, the sin nature will take the reins. Now it doesn't mean that you are in the sin nature anymore. But the sin nature has completely fooled you and made you think it has power over you. So what do you do? You submit to it. You give yourself to it. Now, again, none of these circumstances rise to the level of where God will remove you from salvation. Now, this person is just too bad. I can't save him. No, everybody can be saved because Christ did all the work necessary. It's not about sin. But this is about behavior. This is about uh, how to live, how to walk. I like the verse uh, in verse uh, 12, Romans 6, 12. I remember we, we were in Romans and we got to this verse. Oh no, actually it was uh, verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So it's a different way of looking at yourself as opposed to seeing uh, and allow your, allowing yourself to be drug around by the sin nature. Right? There's, a, there's a way to live where God has given you assets and power over the sin nature. It is not our nature anymore. That's why it's the old sin nature. It's not ours. It doesn't belong to us. We've been taken out of Adam. And now we're in Christ. But don't let the sin nature deceive you. Okay. Go ahead, though. I'm good. Other, other thoughts out there? Thank you, Bill. Going, going, gone. Well, that was; those are good questions and uh, good for good clarity. So, thank you for bringing those out, Bill. I guess we'll close. Uh, it is time. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity we've had to review uh, Romans chapter nine, verse twenty-two. We thank you that uh, uh, what you have given us here, Lord we recognize that it is a warning that our conduct is, is an issue before you and you have given us a trust and you 
expect obedience. Uh, we thank you for giving us this opportunity, this privilege to be heralds of the new creation in Christ. So we pray for this church. We pray that we will all be challenged as we have read these things and understand them, that you will give us wisdom as we uh, are able to walk and conduct ourselves in this manner in the world. We thank you for those who have joined our study. And Father, we continue to pray for those. If it comes to our heart, Father, we pray that we, we could just turn it right over to you whenever we think about suffering, sickness, and all the things that we mentioned earlier. Uh, bereavement, Father, we, we pray and know that you are there to comfort us. So all of this we ask in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Amen.